Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to Crunch Time. Oh, great stuff, Cumberland. Saw off Pierce. Bottle mark. Unencumbered. 20 metres out. 10 metres out. The Tiger Roar up into the third. And Richmond leads by six. Gave it back to Collier, who kept on coming. Oh. Marioli tracked him down. Dragged him down. And won the football. Banfield gets his chance at ground level. Cool. Left foot kick. It was coming back. Yeah. And it calls through. And... Fremantle respond and the score is tied up. We could be headed for another heady 60 seconds at the end for the Tigers. Baker swoops it up, kicks inside 50 where Bolter marks. Minute 30 on the clock. Time's up. He's been called to play. Oh, oh. Won't score. Charged down by Frederick, even by Richmond standards. That was bizarre. Scores are level and we're going to have a draw. It'll take something pretty amazing. It squeezes out the back. Pickett surging forward, pokes it. Yes, Ooh. Cumberland just got the fifth of the siren sound. He played on. Richmond have shot themselves in the foot again. <laughs> the weirdest game of the season gives no one what they came for. How to make sense of what transpired and what it might mean when the sums are done. Fremantle coach Justin Longmuir is our headline guest. I'm going to seem a bit silly saying this. We are judged by outcome, absolutely. Um, and, you know, so win-loss by primary will be the, the thing we look at. But the reality is we're playing a pretty dynamic, good brand of footy that's left us opportunities to win the game. You know, we're in the fight every game. We've really been out of it. So I'm happy with that aspect. What we have to get better at is our execution inside 50. You know, I thought that at times today we should have scored. We didn't score. We've got some work to do on that one. Look, having Tom Lynch and Dustin Martin will help, but the reality is we've got to be better than that. Richmond killing Richmond, hey? The Tigers leave 10 points on the table in three weeks, finding peculiar and perplexing ways to miss closing the deal. I think it's just been really very clear that if you contribute to the high contact, then if you haven't had prior, you're not going to get holding the ball and it's a ball up. And if you have had prior and you tackle like that, it's holding the ball. It's not changed the game and the interpretations. It's been there forever. It's another flinch. Some players will be on their last chance because we can't accept some of those performances and some players have been, you know, pretty good players and that's where the footy's at at the moment. Clarkson, you've been asked about. Have you spoken to him personally? No. When do you plan on doing that? I, I don't know at this stage. Our previous two coaches haven't lasted terribly long, have they? So it's incumbent yeah. on us, I think, to be really clear on what's happened there and really clear for us on, on what we want moving forward. 
and aspects of the football world revolve around Alistair Clarkson, although the master coach is having none of it. The head high crackdown and the tension being felt in the chasing brigade with a handful of games remaining. It's all in the round 19 edition of Crunch Time. We've had a night to sleep on the events of what transpired. I imagine it was an uneasy night for Richmond fans who would have been seeing those scenes on the inside of their eyelids. Jared Waitley with you as we sit for this edition of Crunch Time. Luke Hodge is with me, so you were there. Luke, welcome. Thank you very much. It's uh, From what we've come to expect from Richmond over the last four years, what we've seen the last three weeks, and especially last night, you sit back scratching your head and you can probably understand why Richmond supporters are a little bit confused, a little bit frustrated because they're not used to this. They're not used to seeing a team that has had so much success not know what to do when the game's on the line because, yes, they've had Dustin Martin and Cochin to step up and, and fill the void in past years, but they just seem like they're, uh, they've got to go back a little bit and start to go back to those scenarios that they were doing seven or eight years ago because they're getting themselves in winning situations but then just falling short with a, with a few, I guess, brain fades. If, if winning the close ones is a learned skill then losing the close ones is a nasty habit. It is. Think through it. So <laughs> Castagna has the ball smothered that he might have given the little one over the mm. top. They lose to the Suns on the back of that. Arts plays well, on when he lost his head. Bolter doesn't even get a shot away because the clock expires on him. And poor old Cumberland at the end between the devil and the deep blue sea. Yeah, look, the Cumberland one, I can, I can understand. It's a young fellow. Jack Rewalt knew the time. And, and that's where you always listen to coaches and players understand the situation of the game and the time on the clock. Jack Rewalt definitely did because you could sort of see him behind Noah telling him to slow down. But the Noah Bolter one has me confused where he was sitting back. And even when the umpires said, play on, Move it on first. Move it on. And then play on. He still takes a big, deep breath and then panics. It's, I was sitting there scratching my head. But the, the, the good part about football is you learn from it. And there's no doubt that Dimmer realises now that the team that we've seen from Richmond in the last four years, they've got to go back to basics. And going back to basics is breaking it down, going back through the scenarios, what we do at this situation, what we do at that situation, and making sure with a minute to go and the, and the scores are even that you have a shot. Well, Leon Cameron, it's just as well you're out of it. Coaching's no good for your health. <laughs> No good at all, Jared. Uh, although it was no good trying to get into this ground. I was a little bit uh, lost here out in the ground, so maybe I need to go back to basics as well for directions. But, what, did, um, what did you think last night? Oh, everything that Hodgie has said is exactly true. I mean, Richmond aren't the Richmond of their premiership years at the moment because they would be winning a couple of these close games. And, um, and look, it would be really frustrating for Dimmer because, you know, he's, he's been at the top for a number of years and, and they're making some sort of run probably three or four weeks ago and everyone's going, oh, if Richmond get into the top four, they're going to cause some damage here. But now they're battling to, you know, to stay in the top eight on the back of three games where, they let's be totally honest, they should have another eight points and firmly entrenched in the eight. And... Uh, it's it's one of those things, and I know uh, Matty Richardson interviewed Bolter at the yeah. end of the game yesterday, <laughs> and I think he was going quite easy on him, on what uh, what was going through his brain. But uh, you know that one there is just unforgivable. It's hard, and I know it's ruthless, but it is unforgivable to to go over the thirty second shot clock, and then you know the young kid um, Cumberland at the end, you could see what was going through his mind, but. Uh, yeah, it's really disappointing if you're a Tigers fan waking up this morning. The shot clock, I can only recall it happening once before in such circumstances. Charlie Dixon had a shot to put Port Adelaide in front late at Kidinia Park on a Friday night. 
and fr- just didn't keep an eye on the clock. It ticked down on him, and he didn't get his shot away. Sam Edmund, of all the ways, of all the ways. It's better this way, Jared. the return of Richmond. It's more fun, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, they've led 16 of their 18 final quarters this year, Richmond. Ranked number one with Melbourne with a game in hand, of course. And there's zero wins, one draw, four losses in games decided by less than six points. So... That just shows you the sliding doors moments in the competition. So while we've got the return of Richmondy, for mine, Jared, we've got the continuation of what might be the most farcical rule of the year. Forget the head-high tackle. It's the medical sub-rule. And an all-time tweet last night from Code Sports' Daniel Cherney, who wrote, uh, Ben Miller subbed off with tallness. Tallness. <laughs> That's excellent. You're so, ske- you're so sceptical, you guys, aren't you? <laughs> I tell you, you what. Think what. You think coaches are ruining the sub-rule. It's... <laughs> <laughs> Leon, Leon, how many times when you were coaching did you have the old, is it a calf, is it a hammy, is it wet, we, do we sub at all? <laughs> look, look, I understand there's uh, Answer the question, a, a lot of discussion about it. I think the main discussion, Hodgie, was when you're trying to determine cramp over an injury. And so you get clearly you get a bit agitated, it's halfway through the last or, and the game's in a tight situation and you've got a fresh player sitting there. And someone actually can't do their duty, which is, you know, they're full-on cramping. Well, is it a cramp or is it a hamstring or is it a calf? And so the the doctors are under the pump trying to determine that. So, look, I understand the speculation on it. I totally understand the talk back on it. But it's one of those things you only know if the doctor and Dimmer or whoever is in charge of that change uh, when they made it, whether that player is going to be any chance to play the next week. Now, we only had, in all my time, one player out of the times that we had the sub-rule at the Giants, it come up the next week. Um, all of them didn't play for a week or two. And so when something happens like this in such a significant game and it's so tight, no doubt it's going to be a talking point. I think the talking point was was the feedback we were given afterwards. I think a couple of Richmond people said to Richo, oh, it was his groins. And then Dimmer said, uh, calf. Oh, calf, calf soreness, calf cramp. And then was it Broad said he had all body cramp. <laughs> so we had all well, yeah. So when we sort of sit back, and go, or, or and then people sort of look at it because it was a six yeah. foot seven bloke, yeah. and, and they bring on Rioli who, who chases who, down who, Travis Collier in the most thrilling moment exactly of the night. Right. Can we talk about this a bit later, Jared? I mean, the AFL's exact ruling states it is reasonably determined the player will be medically unfit to participate in any match for at least the next twelve days, and we were told there would be strict medical governance that would protect the integrity of it. Now, after six rounds, we had something like. A dozen players who were subbed off and played the very next week. So it had hair on it right from the start, but it's like Chewbacca now. It's gone oh, beyond the joke. No, I totally understand, Sam, but we are looking at obviously the negative side, but also on the, the hardest thing that you have here is that the doctor determine what happens if there is a full body cramp and he plays the next week, but what happens if he has a full body cramp and you, and you prevent a full-on four-week hamstring? And so that's the integrity of the doctor making the call. And, and, and if we're starting to question the integrity of the doctor, then it's a, it's a, it's a pretty yeah. tough conversation yeah. to have. But the rule was brought in not to anticipate a player might get injured. It was to brought in when a player does get injured. And that's where I think we've gone into real grey area here. I mean, They're just guidelines. They are. We're going to highlight the Pirates all. guidelines. My all-time favourite's Mason Cox in the game against uh, Fremantle. Over there in pouring rain, um, the guy's eight foot tall, has a finger injury, subbed off, can't possibly continue, plays the next week against Carlton, takes four contested marks in a tight win. So we're seeing a lot of it, but a lot of them are legitimate, of course. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, next year we will have either five on the bench or we will have a sub. Mm-hmm. That, that's this... Take this it will away. be removed. Yep. Uh, let's not fixate too much. Hey, draw, draws, Leon. If I, I've got it in my mind that you might have 
coach back-to-back draws at one stage. Yeah, I was trying to go the long way around to get in the finals. <laughs> um, Down at Tasmania? Absolutely. Hodgie, were you still there? Yes, yep. Yeah, that's right. Um, we It was absolutely frustrating. We had a draw the week before against Geelong. Hawkins missed a goal after the siren, right. and we had a draw. And then we went to Tasmania. We skipped our way. I think we got about 12 or 13 points up. And then Hawthorne went bang. And then with about 15 seconds <laughs> to go. Should not have <laughs> 15 seconds to go. We shouldn't have lost, but no. then Hawthorne shouldn't have lost. Yep. Hawthorne had an opportunity. I think it was a dubious free kick, wasn't it, Hodgie? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Too long ago, Leon. <laughs> and... Um, Anyway, the draw happened and we're sitting there and we're going, what is going on here? This is two weeks in a row. This happens once every five years. Yeah. So, look, it's such a silly, unbelievable feeling that you just go, well, what do we do? What do you, you look at each other and go, well, you get two points. Is it good? I mean, I remember the coaches saying to us that uh, the centre bounced with 13 seconds to go. Are we going for it? Are we going to go send a message out, we need to win this game, or do we just hold on? And I'm sort of going, well, okay, no, we need to hold on here because we look really wobbly and Hawthorne are coming. So <laughs> the, philosophy, the philosophy of the coach changes within a second or two depending on what the, uh, the rhythm of the game is. That's what I liked about Freeman on their mindset. There's a boundary throw in 10, 11, 12 seconds to go. Darcy taps it over mm. the back, and it was aggressive play. It wasn't we're sitting here in fourth position thinking that this could be two points could help us to for save a top it. four. To save it. The yeah. mindset of Fremantle was we're going to win this game. And I love that about a young team who are striving to get better. And in these situations, you only get better by trying things. And yes, it could have backfired and went the other way. But the mindset of Darcy, the mindset of Brayshaw and the other mids to run on and try and create something was, was good to see. So are you a draw guy, Leon, or would you prefer a bit of extra time to settle it? I've always loved tradition. I love the centre bounce tradition, the draw tradition. Um, clearly, they changed the grand final a few years ago, which they had to. Um, all the the feelings, I think, to get a result is probably better. So I think they've got to look at it at the end of the year. Okay, mm. you, Hodgie? I'm happy to keep it the same. In saying that, watching other sports with overtime and the the hectic finishes is very exciting, but. I'm, I'm very similar as far as I'm, I'm happy to leave it there. You learn a lot from draws, and it's great to talk about for the next three days afterwards. The score last, it is indeed. <laughs> the final score last night for Werribee Isuzu. Upgrade your old Ute into D-Max now. They are paying top dollar for trade-ins. Richmond, 7-10-52. Fremantle, 7-10-52. So by the end of it, how did you feel about the overall fortunes? Let's do Richmond first, shall we? Um so that their philosophy has been a lot of their game is in order and they're just not able to close it out. That, 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 there seems to be truth to that, but I would now argue this is, this is part of their makeup. It doesn't happen repeatedly like this without being part of who you are. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I think if you look at the way Richmond want to play, um, they adapted their game style early on. They were a bit more of a kick Mark Campbell because they saw that that's what Sydney did against Freeman on the second half and had success. I felt defensively that Richmond were back to as good as they've been for a long time. Watching how Freo have been able to pierce through teams over the last few weeks, and especially early in the season, Richmond in that third quarter, in the second quarter, but also throughout the third quarter, they were able to hem them up, push them wide, not let anything go through the corridor, which gave them real advantage. But the hardest thing for Richmond is that they've been getting opportunities inside Ford 50, and once you lose a lot of the continuity with a lot of the senior players, no Lynch, no Dusty, and they've had a lot of ins and outs with, with Koch and that, the first thing it does go is that connection going forward because it is the hardest kick in AFL football is lacing someone out going inside, especially when there's so much pressure on. But that's what we're, we're finally seeing with Richmond. They, over the last three weeks, should have been further in front come later in the game, 
but through skill error, through conversion and, and that connection moving forward, they've kept the opposition in the, in the game, and that's what's ultimately hurt them. Leon, what's your overall on the Tigers? Yeah, look, I agree with Hodgie. I think, I mean, and, and Dimmer, Dimmer says their game is intact, but Jared, you probably ummed and hard a little bit on that just before. And the, to have your game intact, you need to be saluting on the scoreboard as well. And and clearly the quality of Martin is shine is 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 unbelievably missing at that team at the moment just because six or seven occasions in the game last night it needed a Martin kick inside fifty to then put Richmond two, three goals up, which then they probably hold on and win the game against a side that's sitting in the top four. So him not there is clearly evident um, and he complements their style of play because they, you know, they defend well when they're on, they tackle well, and he, they give the ball to him and, and, and we know what he can do with it. So having him not there hasn't helped these close games and clearly that's shown in the last three weeks. So that's a personnel thing, but in terms of their system, their system's there, um, although they've got three or four new young kids that they're blooding which will lead to some heartache, which we've seen with the Tigers. So they're on the right track, um, but clearly we've got to understand they're not the Richmond of three or four years ago, and especially when they don't have Lynch and Martin in the side at the moment. At the finest margin, so we've had the, the Castagna ball, which is smothered, and he didn't give the hand pass over the top. We've had Arts the following week, who marks but plays on, and then we had Noah Bolter, who watched the shot clock expire last night. <laughs> Did you hear the umpire call play on? Uh, I didn't. I just saw a couple of Freo boys just running at me. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, what do you do? Yeah, that's the game of footy. This is, uh, this is why we love the game. We like to play in close games like this. And, you know, unlucky it's a draw, but who cares? To be clear, you didn't hear the umpire say that your 30 seconds was up? Uh, not a clue. I heard Jack Rewalt tell me, take your 30. Uh, yeah, and then I'll see these players running at me. I'll go... Well, I guess it's play on, isn't it? But, yeah, well, the game's over now. There's nothing you can do about it. No point in moaning you know, and whinging. So, uh, yeah, just move on to the next week. Sam, I absolutely love that. But who cares? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a supporter group who dumped manure on the club doorstep. They microwave memberships. They've got 100,000 members. I'm tipping that they care a little bit this morning, to be honest. Uh, Sam, you're bringing up bad memories. Right there. <laughs> Sorry, Leon. I just think, you reckon they don't care? They kick 11-22 uh, last week. They can't hit the side of a barn against Golka. I, I reckon they're hurting at the moment. But I, I think I know what he was trying yeah. to say, Noah. He just probably didn't articulate it as delicately as he could have. And then Noah Cumberland at the end. So we've been watching the first quarterback on Fox Footy, where he had two shots from the same range. He scores if he go if if the rush of blood doesn't happen, and he's hugging the ball at the siren under the Sandy Roberts rule. Any score will do. I, I'm on Noah Cumberland to score With, without a doubt. Noah's a um, Ruchador boy, so he came through the academy when I was up at Brisbane and. Uh, seeing his big left hoof, there's no doubt oh. at all that he would have would have scored for sure. Uh, but in saying that, he's a young kid whose instinct was space behind him, mark the ball, turn around. There might be someone, and there was there was people leading for him in the in the pocket. But it's just that timing. Uh, if it had been an extra <laughs> second, Jack Rewalt was yelling at him to slow down, and Jack understood the time. But this is all about the development phase of young kids that are coming through. You're not expecting him to understand 
all situations of the game because he had he had good impact at times. Jack Rewalt got his first goal because he crashed a pack and knocked it open. He kicked a good goal, their first goal of the game. Um, but this is just another learning curve for, for a young kid. And what, what killed me was the pain on his face yeah. and the emotion, the tears in his eyes that he realised that he had an opportunity to win the game, which is every kid's dream. You mm. talk to anyone who's ever done it, that is your dream as a kid. And, and he missed his opportunity, but... The way he goes about it and the way he plays, I'm tipping he's going to be back in that situation at some stage. So 21-year-old Leon, fourth game. Is it trauma counselling for him today? How does how does a coach oh. comfort a young lad? Oh, I mean, every player and every coach and staff member will get around him and, and you can clearly see that happen straight after the game and in the rooms behind the closed doors. I mean, he'll be shattered. Um, there's no way about it. It'll just take a little bit of time, but it's a it's a... It's a great experience. It's a it's a hard one, but it's a great experience. And um, you know, Sam, you mentioned before Richmond supporters hurting. It's it's theatre at its max. Yeah. The last few, you know, you talk about entertainment. That's yeah. what's happened. And now, whether that's at the expense of Richmond supporters, that's this is what's happening. There's just some so there's some things that are just happening in the games that are costing them points which clearly lead to them being a threat in the finals. Now, I still think they can be a threat and, and, and scrape in there because of what they can do, and we know what they can do in September, but whether they can go as deep now because of the position they find themselves in, that's what's hurting Richard's supporters on a Saturday morning when they wake up. Jared, I just got a question for Hodgie and also for Leon. How realistic in those frantic final moments is it for us to understand that perhaps all players know how long there is to go? Does the message get out, Leon? Do you try to get the message out? Hodgie, do you try to talk to as many players as you can? We're in the last minute. Words that no, it's, uh, it's, I think people don't understand that it's yeah. totally un- it, it's, it's unrealistic because um, the, you've got to remember the last three minutes of, uh, of the quarter, the runner can't go out unless the goal scored. Mm. So the runner can't go out. And then, then you've got to determine well, how big's the crowd and how loud it is and where's the play. So if the play's on the other side. Now, you can have a few little signs. You can see that some of those funny signs that you know some of the uh, staff hold up at the, at the boundary near their bench to say a minute to go or 30 seconds to go. But if you had a sign for every 10-second block, you'd need 10 different signs. Yes. And so uh, it, it's a, the, the only really way is if the play's on your side because you say if the goal hasn't been scored, if the play's on your side and someone can interchange and you can yell to someone to say, look, 30 seconds left, 20 seconds left, and then all of a sudden the leaders at your footy club can put things into play. Because you do practice those scenarios. It's just there is so many different scenarios determining on the time of the game and where the ball is placed on the oval. And I think if you you look at the... Of, of, it's, he's in his fourth game, so he's not expected to understand. He's playing on a Friday night in his fourth game a solid crowd there for Richmond. He's got everything else going on in his head. He's just taking a mark. He's going to roll on, try and pass it or or do something to, to win the game for his team. That's where a lot of the senior players who have been in the position before understand the clock. And, and you look at his reaction with ball in hand compared to Rewalt's. Rewalt's knew, Rewalt knew exactly what was going on. If he, had a, if he had taken the mark, he would have turned around, seen if there was a play available, but wouldn't have, wouldn't have rolled. Where Noah's rolled just through instinct and, and energy in the situation. Um, so that's where it does help having a lot of senior guys because Bolter's shot was 30 seconds earlier and there was a lot of talk from Boundary coming on and off that they knew there was a long left. So I think that's the difference between a senior person who understands the situation and watching the clock and has been there so many times before compared to a young kid in his fourth game who just wants to score. Yeah, it's the other side of the Sam Day coin, isn't it? So Sam Day takes that mark in the mm. right forward pocket and he plays on to centre it up to Noah Anderson. And at the time, everyone's going, oh, imagine if the siren goes. Mm. Well, we just saw it. 
We just saw it. So these things are so in the margins. What about Fremantle, Leon? And um, Justin Longmuir is going to join us shortly. Uh, he stayed down in Melbourne this morning, so we'll have a chat to him. What, what's your overall on the Dockers? Yeah, look, I think they're just it's a, they're a classic team. And the game last night, I think we've got to understand as supporters, is that if you're into buying shares, you shouldn't buy shares in any team from around 17 to 20 because everyone's tired, everyone's fatigued. The share market has dipped at the moment, and the game of footy is is you know just not the greatest to watch at times. There's probably only one or two sides on top of the game. Geelong won, just to to think of one of them. But so the last night's game wasn't a great game spectacle to watch. Going inside fifty, both sides defended well, ball use, skill errors, all those sort of things. From a Fremantle point of view, they just need to keep believing. They've been running from the start of the year they've made the play they've been a top four side from the start of the year and they're just a little bit wobbly at the moment and that's what happens with young sides you know we've been through that when I was at the Giants you wobble at the end of the year everyone's tired and fatigued and you're just trying to get over the line till you get to those last one or two games leading into September and you can clearly see there'll be a little bit of doubt in Fremantle's mind because of the last few weeks I still think their best is good enough to compete with the top four or five sides it's just whether or not how fatigued their younger side is and making sure that they still believe that they you know, are, are a top four team and they've got a huge challenge next week against the Demons. But you know, there, there would be some stuff that um, Justin would love about their def- defence last night, but there'd be equally some stuff that he'd be frustrated with that is not clicking like it was clicking in the first half of the year. My, my concern for Fremantle moving forward is if they can get the style that they want, that ball movement, Pierce kicks through the middle and run overlap. That's that's their style. But it's when teams like what Rich Marabba do in the second and third quarter, shut them down, tighten them down, their get-out kick was to Tabana, who one tall, five smalls, doesn't work. I know lobs out, but do they have a backup plan? I know they're going to try and chase Jackson this year, but that's at the expense of lob. Do they have any others that they can bring in? Because as soon as the finals come round, you're not getting that kick through the middle that they'd get to break open. You're not going to get easy switches. So you're going to have to go a lot longer and a lot more often down the line to create that contest. And if you're kicking to Melbourne who have a May and a few others who can intercept Mark and go the other way, that's that's a big question on, on Fremantle for me. Fife is, uh, and we're going to talk to Justin shortly, but Sam, it's the most untimely oh. injury, isn't it? It is. And, and Justin Lomio we will speak to, but he was fascinating listening last night on that. So he will get scared, not today here in Melbourne. They'll wait until they get back to Perth for a scan, but it looks like a routine hamstring. We, we hope for the best. Hopefully it's on the, on the minor end, but um, probably listening to Justin, they weren't overly surprised given the, the absence and the time he spent out of the game and, and pushing at a high level to get back and then the intensity of the game itself. But that, that was the mix where if you get lobbed back in, you get five. Like when he came in from full forward yep. and the Jukes just yeah. went whack and you sit oh. there going, oh, hang on. And then he goes back and kicks the goal after he may shank one a few minutes earlier, but you sit there and go, get lobbed back in. You've got five planters that third tall. Taverners, you hit up forward. All yep. of a sudden it's like, that forward line looks a little bit more dangerous than what it has been. All lob. of a sudden, Lob will come back in, but it goes back to those two talls. Lob goes in the ruck, Darcy off, and you're back, back left with Tabner. So it, it's going to hurt him for the next month, and that's going to drop the fitness for finals for him. The Dockers coach here is about to join us. You're listening to Crunch Time. Our Friday night footy discussion is for Werribee Isuzu. They make buying cars easy. The award-winning Crunch Time. 
We dissect and analyse what took place on Friday night footy for Werribee Isuzu. Upgrade your old ute into D-Max now. They are paying top dollar for trade-ins. Jared Waitley, Leon Cameron, Luke Hodge and Sam Edmonds with you. And the Fremantle coach Justin Longmuir has joined us. Justin, thanks for your time on Crunch Time. No worries, guys. How would you sleep last night after those events? Yeah, no, no, not, not well. Um, yeah, it's tough to know what to make of it. Um, you know, you look at the last couple of minutes and we're, we're probably lucky, but I think there's some elements of that, you know, third quarter and fourth quarter where we should have made more of the opportunities we created. So, yeah, I think we'll review it like we always review a game. Pretty process-oriented. But, yeah, it's definitely a different feeling after the game. Do you torture yourself with elements of it when you get back to the hotel room? Can you leave it alone or do you have to, I've got to find out a few things here? Uh, yeah, find out a few things. Um, but that's the same with every game. But, yeah, I, I, I guess when games are decided by a close margin or a draw, um, some of those mistakes that you make and some of the missed opportunities, they're just highlighted more and made more of, I suppose. So they do weigh on you a little bit more than, um, you know, if you win comfortably or, or lose comfortably. Philosophically, are you a draw guy or would you prefer a little bit of extra time to settle it? Yeah, well, I haven't really made a call on that. I think that's the second draw we've had in our club history, so it doesn't really sit high on the priority list of my decision-making. So, um, yeah, I just accept that it's part of the game. Um, and in the end, you know, we'll take the two points and it sort of takes percentage out of it now for us. So, um, yeah, that's that's our lot after the, last night and we'll, we'll cop it. Justin, Leon, Cameron, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Just, just want to touch on, you know, you've been fantastic all year. and Congratulations thus far on your year. You sit in the top four. You've made the running, um, and just in the last couple of weeks, trying to maintain belief with such a young group, knowing that you've got a couple of really tough games coming up. Do you play a real big active role, or do you, do you really, really rely on your leaders to say, no, what we're doing here is right, and it can and can go the distance. We understand it's a long year, and there's got to be a dip here and there. But is it more you or is it more your leaders that you really lean on in the next couple of weeks? Oh, it's a bit of both, Leon. And, um, yeah, well, we've, we've had a... Last couple of weeks, we've really focused on our energy. I just feel like we've had a bit of a dip in our energy and a few of our younger guys possibly, um, you know, feeling the pinch a little bit of, of the season. And sometimes you can internalise um, that and dwell on it and it sort of snowballs into... Um, you know, poor performances. So we've tried to build our energy, um, and that and that you can only do that um, by leaning in on each other. So yeah, the leaders play a big part of that, and every player really plays a big part in that. And they just have to get outside of themselves. And I thought we saw some signs of our energy lifting um, last night. Um, I thought we we're especially early up for the contest, and they got on top through the middle period. Um, and especially that second quarter, but I thought the energy just to hang in there was, was really strong. And um, yeah, I couldn't be more impressed with some of our younger leaders. And I think the guys that get the recognition um, is probably Caleb and, and Andy in our leadership group. But I thought you know guys like Hayden Young and Brandon Walker and, and those type of guys that it, that just bring the bring, bring that energy for us uh, really um, showed showed a bit last night and. Yeah, it's, um, it's something we need to build on because, as you said, it's only going to get tougher and the game's only get bigger and the outcome focus only gets stronger. So, yeah, we need to make sure that we lean in on each other um, for the rest of the season. 
Justin, Richmond were uh, orchestrating the spare behind the ball through McIntosh dropping back. Looked like you were happy to have the spare at the contest. You won the stoppages. Was there much talk in the coach's box about equalising and making sure that seventh didn't get too much of an advantage? Because it looked like they had a fair impact in that second half. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's always a bit of a conundrum because they'll, they'll try and manufacture it no matter what. So we tried to play six forwards early, and they still had a had an extra, and then you know went to a different structure at half time, which I think allowed us to get the game on our terms a little bit more. But yeah, still gave them an extra behind the ball. So um, yeah, it's it's a tough one. It really affected our mid forward connection, and um, sometimes you can try as hard as you want um, to even up the numbers, but teams just manufacture that extra and. I think what we were finding in the first, uh, especially that second quarter, is it was leaving us vulnerable in our defence um, and we weren't getting the necessary layers that we like to get set up. So we got that in the second half and got a few more repeat entries in the game played in our front half, but still didn't help the fact that yeah, we, yeah, we couldn't bypass that extra. So um, we were talking about it uh, in that last quarter in particular um, to even up the numbers, but we felt like the balance through the middle of the ground um, was more... Um, necessary, I suppose, to try and take their game away from them. So, um, yeah, that's the way Richmond play, and sometimes you just have to cop it. And we, unfortunately, we couldn't find a, a way around it. What was your uh, message at three quarter time? Because it looked in the third quarter that Richmond's defence was really good at times, and and it almost made your players second guess, and you didn't come through with the corridor as as much as what you did earlier. But then in the last quarter, it looked like they were just motivated to do it again and, and so you open up the game again because some of the kicks young through the middle they just backed themselves and, and took the kicks they probably weren't taking so much in the third quarter when the pressure was on yeah no, no, i agree with that and you know sometimes with a young group and the pressure comes on you can go a little bit insular um and, and that affects your your risk taking and decision making so yeah we just wanted to make sure that we kept on spreading the ground and um you know the one way of drawing the extras up sometimes is making sure you use your extras um, so we, we wanted to do that a little bit more and um, you know, change angles was a big focus for us from half-time onwards. And yeah, it finally started to click in that last quarter um, on the back of you know, owning a little bit more field position as well, especially that um, you know, for the first 20 minutes of that last quarter, I think the inside 50s are 14-3. So mm-hmm. we're playing the game at the right end of the ground. Um, yeah, like we've just touched on, we just couldn't make the most of that opportunity. Uh, Justin, Sam Edmund here. Appreciate your time this morning. I know he won't be scanned until you get home, but do all things point to a standard hammy for Fife, or, or are you a bit more optimistic than that? Oh, no, I think it'll be a standard hammy. Mm. Yeah, that was the, the call from the docs after after the game. So, yeah, well, you never really know with these things. So we'll get back and get it scanned and, and let everyone know. But, yeah, we're just hoping for a standard hammy at this stage. And I know your policy on players, you know, from rival clubs, and obviously your head's in the season now, of course. But can I ask you about Rory Lobb? I mean, has he or his management made their intentions clear to you at this stage on his playing future beyond this year? Well, it's not really for me to comment. Um, and, you know, I... I'm really strong on the fact that Rory's got a year left to run on his contract and he's a really important player to us. Mm. And, um, you know, he was out there last night. Maybe we make them make a little bit more of those, um, you know, those contest situations in our Ford 50. So players, players like Rory, um, they're really important because, um, they allow you to play two rucks and, 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 and an extra tall forward at the same time. So just really important to our structure and, yeah, like I've said all along, he's, mm. he's contracted and 
I see him playing at the club next year. And Griffin Logue is really important as well and has had a real impact going forward, obviously, in recent times. Has the club offered him a contract at this stage, Justin? Where do things sit with him? Yeah, we're in negotiations with, with Griff. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, those ne- negotiations and talks continue on. So, yeah, hopefully we can get something locked away. Justin, how untimely is the Fife injury, given the, the block of footy that he was trying to get in the back half of the season probably would have been perfect to have him running into peak condition come the finals? Yeah, it's not ideal, clearly. He's missed so much footy and feel like we're just starting to get on top of his form and his role. And, yeah, and even last night it was untimely because you know we, we started getting field position in, that, uh, in the second half a little bit more, and especially in that last quarter, and to have someone who could you know, take a mark, um, contested mark would have been handy to have. So, yeah, it's going to it's gonna make it a little bit trickier towards the end of the year, but I mean, he's a pro. He's going to rehab it really well and his fitness won't be an issue, but, yeah, it's not, not ideal. And he is a champion of the game, so I'll preface it with that, but how big a challenge would it be to walk back in in this disjointed season, potentially in the first week of the finals? Yeah, well, it's, it's, like I said, it's not going to be ideal. But, you know, if anyone can do it, it's him. Um, yeah, and it is a bit of a, it's a... It's not ideal, but it's a road... A little bit of a speed bump, I, I feel. Um, he's got over the big stuff that he had to get over with his back and shoulder. And Yeah, he's um, he's come back from hammies before. So, yeah, I hope, hope, hope he, he can you know, only miss the, the two or three weeks and get a game in before the, the bye and, and start getting his mojo back again. Have you all? Did you speak to him last night, just out of curiosity, or will you leave that for later on? No, yeah, I, I pat on the back and um, real, really brief. Yeah, and um, yeah, he was obviously disappointed, but he was, um, yeah, around his teammates and, and supporting them as well. So yeah, he'll be right. On the upside, so your defence last night, is we well know the, the two key pillars and how good Ryan and Cox are. Young's development is is really striking. We thought he was probably the best player on the ground. And Chapman as well. That that defensive group, how how are they evolving together in the coach's eyes? No, I think it's yeah, got the potential to be um, one of the better back six um, or back sevens yeah, in the comp, to be honest. Jared. Um, yeah, throw Chapman, Walker, Young, Clark, who just played his 50th game. The others have not played 30 games yet um, and become pretty reliable players down there. Um, and then, yeah, throw in Brennan Cox, who oh, I think's had an All-Australian year. Uh, he probably doesn't get the recognition over here and externally as well he does internally, um, but he, he's been super yeah, and I feel like we've got some good cohesion down there and Matty Boyd's done a fantastic job of teaching him the game plan but bringing him together and getting him to support each other. Yeah, I probably agree with Youngie last night. I thought he was one of the best on the field and you know, for someone who hasn't played 30 games yet, I don't think. Um, yeah, he's just such a mature mature operator um, week to week, but also you know, during the weeks, he's, he's just a real pro and um, going to be a great football player for us for yeah, years to come. Frederick, uh, as Noel Bolter was lined out for uh, for a shot and the umpires called play on, a lot of players would have been standing there not mm. paying attention. Do you use that as an example for younger guys coming through that no matter the situation of the game, whether you've got the ball or not, that you've always got to be switched on because you can impact it then and there? Because that was a pretty important thing that he did. Uh, absolutely, Hodgie. Yeah, we talk about um, you know, being on task and in the moment all the time. 
Uh, that was a great example of it. Him and Schultz were just ready to go on the line. Um, as soon as the umpire raised his arms, off they went. So, yeah, clearly game-saving game for us. Uh, so, yeah, that, that'll get shown in the review for sure. And the boldness in the final, what was it, 10 seconds, I think, Justin, with, with, with big, um, big Sean tapping it back into the corridor. Were you happy to see that? You've got to risk it for the biscuits, the old saying, but obviously you can come unstuck. Yeah, no, it wasn't ideal. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll probably, put, I'll probably put my hand up for that, to be honest, because um, we've, we've got to win the game scenario. And I'll put the sign up uh, when Bolter was having a shot because I thought he would at least you know, score a point yeah. um, and we'd have to try and win the game. So I think some of our players saw that and thought we were in that, in that mode and didn't adjust after, you know, he didn't score. So I think that's on, that, that's probably on me as much as anyone. I actually saw that. I, I love that. I love the fact yeah. that your young players out in the ground wanted to take the game on and try and win the game rather than playing safe, tapping it in front and getting another stoppage. As a coach, would you back them to, if you didn't put the sign out, would you back them to make that call and, and be as aggressive as what they did? Yeah, no, it would have been devastating if we hadn't come out of it with the two points, um, you know, with 10 seconds on the clock and it stoppage. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Um, you know, I always back the players in and you know, that call wouldn't be harsh on them, but, um, you know, I'm happy we got the two points in the end. Save that play for a two points down situation, not a uh, not an <laughs> Yeah, I, score. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just as we finish, Justin, did you have any observations around the, the high contact tightening last night? That was mostly involving Richard, Richmond players, I think. Grimes got one that I suspect the, the, they want the, the tightening not to not to give. Shea Bolton didn't get one. Floston another. Did, did you have any observation out of it? No, not really. I, I just think these things will, will find their level. Um, there's always going to be a little bit of time for the for the umpires to, to find their major, I suppose, that these, these rule changes that get brought upon them. Um, well, not rule changes, but different interpretations get brought upon, upon them in season. I'll probably seek clarification on the Grimes one. I, I thought that he didn't really lower himself. His arm definitely lifted. Um, and the tackle probably would have went high anyway. So um, I probably think the umpires got that one right. Um, the others I'll, I'll probably need to have a look at, look at again before I comment. And did, did you, just out of curiosity, did you talk to your players about it? Did they talk to each other about it? Is there anyone in your group who would have been going, okay, so I've been taking my chances there, I won't do that anymore? No, we, we talked about it um, as a group uh, very briefly because I don't think we've had too many situations this year um, where we've either won free kicks or got or have, yeah or, or been done holding the ball for those situations, so I don't think it's a big issue for us. Um, yeah, uh, so we, we, we touched on it, but didn't make a big deal. Justin, good of you to join us the, the morning after. Good luck mm. for the last four of the season. Good luck, mate. No worries. Thanks, lads. Justin, Justin. Longmuir, the Fremantle coach, City Power are hosting a day at the G for potential apprentices who have an interest in the electrical supply industry for your chance to attend a free day at the football Collingwood versus Port Adelaide on July 30, including all entertainment and hospitality. Enter now at I Can Win page. So there you go, Leon. He wanted the two points in the dying <laughs> stage. Is that the old coaching, everyone? Yeah, exactly right. No, I think he, if he had to wake up this morning and Cumberland had a shot and kicked a point after Siren, he wouldn't be very, very happy. But it's 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 mindset, and he I think he answered it really well. He said if the players had a, you know, took their chance, 
and flicked it over the back and it didn't come off, he's not going to go after the players. It's just one of those things that can happen in sport and that's the, the, the thing we like about it. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee Isuzu Utes. They make buying cars easy. The award-winning Crunch Time. The sign on the bench. The win the game scenario. Hold that up. We want we want to go straight to Leon's coaching here. Before we do, Hodgie, what was your what was your favourite sign that would come up? The favourite sign, oh, we didn't have signs, we had calls. So I'll probably before the signage come out, we only had the one minute, two minute, but we had the old gold time, tempo, red time. What was gold time? Gold time was go for it. You're yep. behind, you need to score. Um, Jared, <laughs> Hodgie uh, used to make up the calls on the run. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they call it, like, that, that someone said it was leadership. It was not, we just, if we were too tired, <laughs> we'd call tempo. <laughs> if we weren't getting a touch, we'd call gold time. <laughs> What were yours? What was in your deck, Leon? No, no, it, it was interesting to say. You know, Justin said, "Win the game." I mean, clearly, that's you know, everyone can see what that is. Save the game is when you're up by a couple of points. Um, goal time, as Hodgie said, was just go for it because you know we're three goals down and we've got nothing to lose. Um, and then there might be something like if you're sending up a forward, you know, you might say, "Okay, a sixth and a six comes up and the forward comes up and you play an extra round the ball. and So they're the ones that you've got to get across, considering the ump, you know the runner can't go out nowhere near as much as he used to. Well, what is Hodgie's old mate on about with the jukebox Juke at Hawthorne? What's the jukebox mean? Not sure. It's come out at different times. As, as Leon just sort of said, gold times when you're behind, you've got to go. But I've seen it late in quarters when they're down by a bit. I've seen it late in quarters when their momentum's against them. Against them. I've seen it at different times, so... Once they I sit there with Samuel, I might. Sam, they might be planning the um, the night out the <laughs> night. <laughs> you know, whose who's place are we going to? We've <laughs> lost the game. We're going out in the town. Actually, oh, the other one was a good one, which Liam would know. We used to have play chaos. So mm. the role was a, a, a forward go up as an extra mid yes. and just cause chaos. Just run, block. This is when you could second jump. You could second jump. You'd just do anything, just interrupt the opposition <laughs> midfield. It was, it was yeah. actually a good role because you had no responsibility <laughs> to just go and crash and bash and do what you wanted. Yeah, I think the chaos role at Hawthorne worked better when you had a dynamic player, so that was never you, Hodgie. <laughs> so, um, but uh, a Rioli coming up or a Bruce, exactly right. And, and you exactly right. It's a fantastic role. You just run through a stoppage, spit out the other side, and all of a sudden, you know, you might get on the end of it. But uh, I mean, every club, every club's going to have four or five key calls, and we talk about the jukebox at Hawthorne at the moment. I mean, it, it'll mean something. We don't know what it is, but it'll be mean something in the game that they all have to switch into that mode, mm. and hopefully that either prevents the opposition from scoring, allows you to score, or gets momentum back on your terms. Two mm. champions, Dustin Martin, hamstring recurrence, Nat Fife, hamstring last night. Leon, how difficult is it going to be for him to actually impact the finals now with this interruption? It, it feels like at the worst time. Yeah, look, I mean, we cut to the chase. It is, Jared, because it's 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 hard for both coaches and, and Richmond are hanging on and they have to be bold to get there as well as allow and not make a decision to bring Dusty back too early. Um, and then equally, uh, it's a different scenario with, with Justin at Fremantle because they need something up forward, as Hodgie alluded to. Lobb and Tabner will be very, very good throughout the final series, but that third person like a Fife gives Lobb confidence, gives Tabner confidence to, to, to fly for their grabs, but equally he does what he does as well. So 
So it's, it is frustrating. It's hard. Um, there's nothing worse than that four weeks out when you lose one of your key players. Um, it then all depends on what's around and how you can sort of sustain that three or four week period um, if you haven't got too many other injuries. So, you know, it's frustrating for those two two sides, but it is what it is. And they're true professionals. They'll, they'll be fit there. They won't be game fit fully. And they're good enough to step straight in after three or four weeks out. But their pure gold moments, there might only be two or three instead of five or six. And then the five or six might be three weeks away come grand final day or prelim final day. But you've got to get there to, to allow those goal moments to come out more often. Leon Cameron's at the SCG, part of crunch time with Luke Hodge. We will broaden out to the issues of the week as they appear heading into round 19 after last night provided a draw. Welcome to Crunch Time. It is the round 19 edition of Crunch Time, a draw between Fremantle and Richmond, so the ladder shake-up is on, depending on what happens from here. The broader issues heading into this weekend of footy, the high contact crackdown, how we saw that last night, North Melbourne's ploy, they've got the Walsh report now, what to do about it, Alastair Clarkson, the footy world's revolving around him, and he's quite annoyed by that, I think it's fair to say. And <laughs> no, he's not. St Kilda is a narrow... <laughs> But as a much broader, how do teams evolve their leadership and demand of each other? We have Leon Cameron and Luke Hodge in place. Hey, Jared, are you saying that Alistair Clarkson is hating everyone talking about him? He is annoyed by everybody second-guessing what he is thinking and what he is doing. Yeah, he had a crack because it was underpaid what he's getting offered. That's why he was crunchy. <laughs> Only joking, Clarko. Settle down. Settle down. Like, how are you going to go with your reunions, mate? <laughs> your premiership reunions, if you keep... Winding up your coach. Yeah, but it's it's funny. And I'll get good feedback from the boys when I do, so I'll keep going until I see him. Uh, so the high contact crackdown, so first instances last night. I thought in the in the opening minutes there was a Shea Bolton yep. who who lowered himself for the high contact. I think the tackler was in error, but that seemed to fit with what's what they've asked, and I reckon the umpire pays that last week high, didn't pay it last night. The most interesting one out of last night is Grimes and Collier. Grimes sort of gets under the tackle so that the arm's across his shoulder. Justin Longmuir were telling us there that he felt that was the right decision to pay Grimes a free kick. Leon, you're just out of the game. I'm so curious, did you think this was a growing scourge in the game? And do you support what the AFL has done? Or do you think, are you more with Luke Beveridge, that this is a bit of a flinch to public reaction? No, look, I think... It'll just level out. And I actually don't mind the AFL sending a message um, throughout the week because you'd much prefer have communication than not communication. And, and there's always been in the past where you know a weekend of footy has gone by and they've, they've overloaded on dropping the ball or whatever, or high head-high tackles or, or whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden uh, we complain and say, well, where was the memo? Well, where was the discussion about it? I actually don't mind them alerting, okay, we're going to make sure that this is umpired in the manner that they've, they've, they've alerted to all the clubs. The clubs then spend probably three or four minutes, five minutes at best saying, okay, guys, these are the rules. This is what they're looking for. Make sure if you've got the footy or you're the tackler, this is what we've got to make sure we've got to be able to do. And then 
then it's drilling down on the one or two or three uh, classic players that you have in your team. And I had one in, in Toby Green. Toby's the master at it. Toby's the master at going low, shrugging his shoulders. And I don't think he looks at it and says, well, I'm just so strong and low to the ground. Like, that's one of my great advantages. There'll be, a, there'll be cases every now and again he'll try to draw a free kick, but that's just what he's learnt as a young kid. He's done that all his life. It's a, it's a skill to learn to roll your shoulders and duck back underneath and see if you can come out the other side. And you're actually putting it back on the tackler to say, mate, you better tackle me 100% right here um, because if you don't, I might get through and be able to snap over my shoulder and score a goal. So he uses it as an strength. So, oh, look, I think they've alerted it well. I didn't see all the instances that you just mentioned Jared last night in terms of the tackles, but um, it'll be interesting for the whole round of the footy to see what comes of it. But, um, yeah, it's it, it levels itself out. I know it's a big talking point in the public about it because of young Jack at Collingwood, but it, it, it'll level itself out and the umpires will know what to pay and what not to. Uh, I thought last night there was two to three instances that you were talking about there that the umpires called play on and in past weeks there probably would have been free kicks and I reckon everyone sat back and said I'm happy for them not to be paid because of the rule that had come out but what I noticed from that is the umpires seem more relaxed because if they miss one it didn't matter and I thought the umpires did a fantastic job last night actually umpiring the whole game and and all the calls Um, the one that I was sort of looking at was the Grimes one which was paid a free kick and Justin Ongmuir said before he goes it was probably going to be a high tackle for me I'd love to see that be play on just the fact that it's while we're trying to stomp this out, yes, the tackle may have been high, but Grimes has dropped the shoulder, lifted the arm up, trying to get that high tackle. And for me to try and get players to eliminate that action, I'm happy for any time a player does that. Umpires say, hey, there was a 50% chance you tried to do it. We're trying to erase it or eradicate it from the game. Play on. Mm. Uh, and that's the way that in three or four weeks, if players continually see that Friday night, and then that Friday night's normally the, the lead for the rest of the week, weekend, that umpires aren't going to pay this. We've got to stop doing it. Um, Michael Walters, where he normally tries to do a free kick a few times, didn't try and do it last night. So he's clearly listened to the, to the rules. But I, I thought they were really good. Um, it was just the Grimes one. I'd love to see a play on call. And, uh, and, but I can understand where the umpires are coming from. Sam and Jared, if you were the umpire and you're umpiring a Collingwood game and you've seen some of the incidents that uh, young Jack has been involved in, free kick or no free kick, how would you go about it? Um, if you were in charge, knowing what came out throughout the week from the AFL? Yeah, I think if you're uh, trying to judge the margin call, so I think we're asking an awful lot of the umpires, but if you were trying to judge the margin call on Jack, you are going on on typical behaviour, what you're used to from him. So I'm much less fussed about this argument than most. Is My view is while Ginevan's in front and the free kick count, he's winning, but he's going to miss some as well as get some. Well, that started already. Yeah, probably. But um, isn't that just the... Isn't that the Toby Green? You, you chance mm, your arm, right. some you get, some you miss. Yep. If you're in front, Absolutely. you're winning. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't think the game needed this, but if it does disincentivise the action, then maybe the game will be so, better for So it. it's not Bevo v. the rest. It's not Bevo or the field. It's Bevo and Jared v. Yeah, the yeah. field. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was Bevo. really in the beverage camp. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a huge overreaction really? to a minimal problem that over a couple of weeks, in the absence of other flashpoints, has been risen far above the, what the reality of it is. Do you know what? The first thing that caught my eye with it was when Ginevan was te- teaching Majden yeah. at training in front of cameras 
tackle me. This is how I slip a tackle. Yeah. Tackle me. And then he was actually going through and sitting there going, you're trying to – all players, all coaches trying to bend and shape the rules to help your game. You're clearly trying to manipulate this rule to get a free kick in front of cameras to show the AFL that you're bending the rule a little bit. So as soon as I saw that, I thought the AFL are going to have to do something because it didn't look great and it was a bit cheeky from him. But I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of it. I'm, I like what they've done and I like how the umpires – if they continue what they did last night, I reckon it'll be a good game and a big change going into finals. I really like Daisy's point. Is I think Daisy's view is had had Ginevan and McRae not made such a virtue out of it, hundred percent, and just sort of played it down like everybody else has 100%. played it down along the way, it probably wouldn't have drawn the react. But once you start describing it as a skill that we're tra- and they're quite bra- like he is brazen about it, he's probably. I suspect he's irritated Gil to the point where he's gone, no, yeah. damn him. Let's he's just sort this out. He's poked the bear that many times. He's been on podcasts and like saying, oh, it's great. I've kicked this many goals from it. It's almost like the kid who, who um, you know, discovers the hack in the video game and, and he's happy to share it with everyone else. I yeah. just think he'd float in the face of it for too long. <laughs> the hardest thing for, for – it looks like with Jack that when he does it, that's his only out, that he tries to shrug and then if he if he gets away, gets a free kick, all good. If not, he gets pinned holding the ball where – if you look at a green or you look like a Joel Selwood who are really good at drawing a free kick, they initiate contact. If the tackle's not perfect, they'll get a free kick. If the tackle's weak, they'll drive through because they've got power. They've got three or four separate things yeah. that they can do in that tackle by initiating contact. And, yes, one of them's a free kick where, unfortunately for Jack, that he's got that good at it, that, that seems like it's his only outcry. It's either a free kick for him for too high or it's holding the ball because he's got no other play with it. Do you think yeah. Leon Toby would have been thinking about how to approach this weekend, given the environment? No, no, no. 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 I think uh, there's a clear difference. I mean, you know, Jack's first, second year. First year, isn't it, for Jack? Yeah. yeah. And so Toby's been in the system for 10 years, and he, he he would openly say, if I get away with this at times, then happy days. If I get ping holding a ball, then that's my fault. And so, but he has other elements, and I think this is a real important point that Hodgie made. He has other elements to get out of a tackle. And so he will end point with his hand. He will shrug at times. All depends on what angle he picks the ball up and how high or low to the ground he is and what's around him. So he has those two or three moves that he can pull at any given time. Uh, the Alistair Clarkson scenario. So he'd been in. He'd been at the British Open. Um, so, uh, quite. So I did a function with him yesterday. We had 40 minutes on stage oh, together. Looking and forward to this. He did call it the Jeff Kennett World Tour, <laughs> which was excellent. The room really liked that. Um, so British Open came through Celtic afterwards, spent some time with Ange Postacoglu, and landed back in Australia to reports of $1.6 million at North Melbourne, which he was... <laughs> well, you, Ger- Ger- Gerard, you, you were there with it. So for people yeah. who are unfamiliar, you spoke about it last night. You spent the day, well, portion of the day with him yesterday yeah. with this, at this particular function. So how did he react to that news? So he, there were 450 people in the room, so strictly what was said in a public environment. He described it as bullshit. And he is annoyed that people are assuming they know what he's doing and what his motivations are. But it was the, the broader was more interesting. So... The theme that Melbourne United, the basketball team, had set up was developing championship culture. And having spent so long in the States this year around Golden State, he had really acute observations around US sport. And his conclusion is that money and greed kills culture. So that's sort of his backdrop to the whole conversation. So if you're walking in taking $1.6 million of of a salary cap, that's 33%. Money and greed kills culture. So it doesn't exactly right. fit in with what he believes, Leon. 
Absolutely, and and I know Hodgie's stirring the pot, but <laughs> I I it, it it's exactly right. We're, being involved in a football club for so long, and Hodgie, you would know this. It, it's greed and money will kill culture eventually. It might it mightn't get you the first year, but it'll eventually get you the second, third, or the fourth, and it will prevent you from winning the second flag or the third flag, especially if you've. Um, united a team that you know that can compete at the at the highest level, and I'm only speaking on football terms here because I don't know the other sports, but it can. And so when he walked back into Australia and he's been asked that question, Jared, I could see that he would be disappointed in that. And look, he's he deserves he's he's the best coach. He's coached four flags. Him and Demmer, you know, they're the best coach coaches in the land, and so he deserves the money that he's been paid to coach Hawthorne to win those flags. But the speculation when someone comes up with 1.6, I don't know how someone comes up with that. It's either an absolute, okay, it's just uh, I'm creating a headline or, uh, to just get my head in the paper, whoever started it. He would be disappointed in that because all of the research he would be doing at these other environments, as well as at Hawthorne, he would know, okay, it does. Imagine me taking 1.6 million at North Melbourne. I have one coach. I can't afford a runner. And you know what? We only have one physio. It's not going to work. And so when people talk about it, it's actually quite laughable. And when you you actually got to stop yourself and say it's not going to happen, it will not happen. Um, if he does jump into coaching again at North Melbourne, it will be at a wage that can be managed uh, and he'll have a good team around him because he's not going to go in there on his own. And, and that's that's the thing. is that's It is pretty funny how, how he's reacted because there was – Big reports a few years ago, Carlton, when he was at Hawthorne and they offered two million bucks, which is probably close to double what he would have been because it was back mid 05, 06, 07, 08. Oh, sorry, 15, 16, 17. So that's a lot of money to knock back, especially when they were sort of saying, oh, Hawthorne, we're going to part ways. He knocked it back, stayed at Hawthorne. His whole carrot dangling for us was about premierships and about taking less so a good group could stay together. So there's no doubt, no matter who he coaches, whether it's GWS, whether it's North Melbourne, he has to come in and say that same thing to the players. So if a coach comes in and takes an outrageous amount and doesn't have a good support staff, how can he go then and preach to his players to do the same thing? So I, I agree with Leon. As much as I'm stirring a stirring a pot and love to get don't Clark, stop. <laughs> love to get Clark on that, that angry side of thing or his reaction, but there's no doubt that how he coached a successful team was selling a team first mentality. You get things later on in life, not so much about taking money now. If, you ha- if you're successful, you'll get it later on when you retire. He's going to go into whatever team he goes to now and he's going to sell the same thing because he realises the only way to get an, a successful team in today's era is having a balanced team. Having one, two or three stars isn't going to win you a flag. It's a balance. As I always say, it's the bottom six is going to win you on grand final day. So that's what he's going to sell to his players and there's no doubt that's what he's going to go into a football club with that mindset with his wage. So, Jared, the facts as they sit right here right now, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think he detailed them openly. He had a dialogue at all with North Melbourne that's and right. he's had preliminary or embryonic... One, one preliminary discussion. ...with GWS. Yep. May, and look, he might end up coaching North Melbourne, but that's how it sits at this point yep. in time. And the fire to coach is there. It was relit when he was in the planning meetings with Steve Kerr when the Warriors were trying to plot how to bring down Luka Doncic. Yeah. Doncic. Doncic. And he's thinking to himself, oh, this is what I do. (laughs) I don't quite understand all of this, but this is what I do. So he, now that the Jeff Kennett World Tour is over, he absolutely (laughs) is interested in coaching The pilot light is still on. Yeah, if, if he can find the right alignment. Now, he had spoken about this previously, and all of his 40 minutes was about... 
team and coach, coach and team, coach and player group, player group and coach. So it was absolutely riveting to hear him recount what he'd been through at Hawthorne, what his observations are. But so he says if he doesn't, if next year the right job isn't there, he will continue on with Tassie, which he deeply is deeply passionate about. And he's got an education piece, which he strayed to yesterday, which was equally riveting, much more about real life than about, uh, and sports place in that. So um, clearly he will go through a time with the Giants and with North Melbourne, but, but he was as resolute as I won't be picking where I coach is that team will have to pick me. It's the club's role to choose a coach and find the alignment between president and chief executive Mm. and the footy department and the coach and the players and more broadly than that is it would have to marry up with what he believes in. So he believes in the camps and the, the bonding. So if the club's not into that, he won't be there. So it was, I think everyone in the room, there, there wasn't a, you could have heard a pin drop for the 40 minutes that he spoke. Um, and that's why who is, who, who is who he is. You, you lived it firsthand. Without a doubt. When, when he... When he goes and talks and he's passionate about something and he's got a clear focus of where he wants to get to in that talk, he's as good as anyone. You'll sit back and you could sit back and listen to him for hours. And I think that's where, where he's got to. I've never seen a man travel so much in the off-season, but he, <laughs> he was travelling to get a better understanding of sport. Every time you, open, every time you put, turn on a TV with international sport on, he was, seen, he was crossing over somewhere. But he does that to get a a good understanding of how he can better himself, but how he can better the team that he's going to coach or the team he's coaching. Like the amount of times he did overseas trips and would come back with 10 different ideas from four or five different sports and you'd train them and you'd say six of those are terrible. Let's never try them again. (laughs) But four of them, you sit back and go, well, that's got a little bit bit of merit and you might use one of them in a game, but that's, that's his whole mindset. How do you, how do I go away, educate myself to, to make me better, to make the group better. And, his gap year of travelling has been all about when he steps back into the, the main role, if he does, as a coach, he's better prepared than when he left Hawthorne because he knows that the next phase is going to be even more pressure on him into a, into a new role. My recollection of uh, Clarko, and I think it's really important, Jared, because when we just have general chit-chat amongst our friends and family, we always speculate. And this is how this 1.6 is just speculate. You just It's easy just to roll off your tongue and say, okay, oh yeah, Clark, I'll go to North Melbourne, you'll get paid a lot of money, and then I'll get a priority pick. And everyone just speculates. I remember when um, I went from the Bulldogs to Hawthorne to become an assistant coach, um, and I wanted to catch up with him just to the final meeting before I come across it. And he met me at my place at 10 o'clock at night on the way home from the airport because he just flew in from England. He'd been there for two weeks and straight to straight to me for about an hour late at night to talk, you know, footy and, yet yeah, welcome to the footy club, da-da-da-da. But he, he loves engaging in different sports and different opportunities to better himself so he's prepared to make great decisions and coach in this way and this is the method I need to go about things for when that chance comes up. And we've seen what he did at Hawthorne and he's preparing himself again for that next assault. And uh, whether that next assault is going to sit in 2023 or 2024, he's exactly right. The team will pick him. He doesn't go around and say, I'll pick you. Could, could you see him at the Giants? Could you see him in that, that overall structure and the, the, the place of the club right now in Sydney? Is, can you close yeah, your eyes a, and see him there? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think... Um, 
my take on coaching, you can see any coach anywhere, and it's they're hard jobs to get. They're very, very hard to get, and you can't... I mean, I know Clarko's, you know, he's probably one, and Dimmer and maybe Ross Lyon could probably be in that category, John Longmore, that may be able to be able to... I know we're saying pick and choose a little bit, but they're very, very hard to get. And so Clarko's sitting there thinking, OK, well, maybe this is my opportunity. There's enough talent there. Um, you know, my kids have grown up. I'm, I'm, uh, they've moved out or whatever his life scenario is. Yes, no, I really want... I've learned a lot over the last year. I can take this club to a flag within three or four years. So I can see him at any footy club. It wouldn't matter whether he's in Perth or Sydney or, or North Melbourne. I think he's clearly that fire is lit and he wants to coach. And if that club comes after him and they want him as the coach, then I can see it happening. Uh, so North Melbourne is obviously the, the Walsh report is done. So mm. separate to the coaching side of things, which I still think comes second, is it will be interesting to see what material impact that has, Sam. Indeed. Uh, it was tabled on Wednesday at a board meeting at Arden Street by Jeff Walsh. Now, Sonia Hood uh, said with uh, Kane and Kingy yesterday that she hadn't read the full report yet in full. Um, we take her at face value that she just read a summary of the findings, which the club has uh, also vowed to release at some point in time, Jared. So it'll be interesting to see what they pick and choose to release there. And then, exactly, the recommendations that are made by Jeff Walsh, how far and wide do they extend? And then as an extension of that, the board at North Melbourne, how many of those recommendations do they choose to act upon? So we've spoken about this ad nauseum. Uh, the assistant coaches obviously face an uncertain future. The CEO as well. Uh, various members of the board, there's rival tickets um, that are being discussed and speculated upon and moved upon at the moment. So um, the term was used by Sonia Hood, they won't be wholesale changes. It'll be interesting to see how how far they go in that regard and whether a new coach coming in would, would insist on other changes being made, which I think is a point to make as well. The other peak behind the curtain we had this week was was Brett Ratton's post-match at St Kilda. Now, he made the point that each week this, this vision has been made available to members to connect them to the journey to the club. It felt more... Well, it certainly got more traction because of the, the nature of the conversation, the pleading with the group mm. to to demand of each other, to speak to each other in a manner that, that really embodies the way you think about Luke Hodge. So just the evolution of this, Leon, um, is when you have these moments with a team that's striving to be more than it is right now. And that was some of his language was, we can be more than this, but not if we're not able to conquer this piece. Yeah, it's the hardest piece. It's the it's the finishing piece. And, and the, 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 sorry, the discussion is... Do you have the players on your list to help fulfil the final piece? And the final piece is the hardest piece, and that is all come into one. That's culture, that's spirit, that's leadership, that's on the ground, in the moment, delivering hard feedback, good feedback, direction over and over again at its, at its biggest moments. And there's players that are born with it, and there's players that can work on it. Hodgie's one. McVeigh from Sydney, Selwood, Cochin transformed himself into that at Richmond. And you only have to see that all those sides I've mentioned and those players I've mentioned, they, they've coached multiple flags or they've won wonderful premierships in, in really tough years. And so I can see what Brett's saying and it's the hardest thing to try to go, OK, you're our captain or you're our vice captain, you're in our leadership group. 15 minutes into the second quarter and our intensity is not great, what are you doing about it to jump out of your skin, even though you might be playing okay, 
to then challenge three or four players beside you uh, to raise the bar, raise the intensity, play for the jumper, bring that spirit out and do that over and over again is the hardest thing. And so it was intriguing and every coach is trying to look for that. And so when you go to the draft, are you drafting a player that's not only got ability to play the game and could be freakish, it's the ones that got the added leadership like those four guys I mentioned before that you clearly want to jump at if you can see that. Who was the closest in your Giants group that, that had that, Leon? Well, well, Toby Toby has that in his actions. But he, Hodgie has it in his actions and his voice. And Toby has it in his actions. And, and he, he doesn't do a lot of speaking, but he will challenge the group during the week. And then when he... So he's getting better and better and better. Um, and, you know, talk about Stephen Cornelio. He's, he's starting to get better and better. And Josh Kelly, and that's why, you know, we made joint captains, um, is they were getting better and better and better. But y- you've actually got to keep putting them under the microscope to develop them quicker as, as quick as you possibly can. Does it come natural to those three? It probably doesn't, like I mentioned the other four. But um, those, those guys were the quick. I think... I think um, Shane Mumford had it in his own way. It was, again, he was probably a little bit like Toby. Um, he, he would give good direction at the time um, in really critical moments, Shane, but, uh, and as well as trying to keep out of trouble with the umpires. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> he, would in, he would impose himself physically when the, when the team needed it the most, and he had massive impact um, that way. But in terms of the pure rounded player that could physically impact, mentally impact, and then spiritually impact with their voice, um, there's you know there's a little bit of work to do there at my old club um, with that. And so I think there's probably 16 or 15 or 16 clubs trying to strive yeah. for that every year. It's such an interesting piece to observe in that setting and then to, to talk about in the <laughs> aftermath. This is off topic, Liam. Can I just ask you point blank right out? Was Mummy your favourite player? <laughs> Oh look, he he uh, his impact was just phenomenal from the day he walked in. I mean, we needed um, you talk about having mature talent, mature players around talent, and he was the ultimate pick because he would guide a path. He would absolutely um, do it. everything he possibly could to make nineteen or twenty year olds walk taller. You're on crunch time ahead of round nineteen Saturday. The award-winning crunch time. The Saturday of round 19 begins at the SCG with the Swans and Adelaide in Hobart with North Melbourne and Hawthorne. In the twilight, Geelong are over at Adelaide Oval to face Port Adelaide. And then it peaks this evening at the Gabba, the Lions and the Suns in the Q Clash and the Bulldogs and the Demons at Marvel meet for the second time this year. We're gearing up for the games today thanks to Dometic Go on your next adventure, Dometic.com. I'll also mention too, if you're going to the footy order, the news agent, one of the best features of the year in the AFL record, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Ashley Brown has gone through the, the pie in the sky ideas that have either got up and failed or not got up at all. The 157,000 seat stadium at VFL Park. <laughs> That's a big part of my childhood. AFLX, which is the source of much mirth. The Centre Diamond, only brief. The Flick Pass, 
Garish Guernsey's, the How good. M&M's gets a go. He's done a great job with it. it. It's well worth your time as you're sitting there waiting for your game. Grab the record and have a read. Jared Waitley, Leon Cameron and Sam Edmund with you. Sam, before we get to the games in front of us, mm. is now's about where the trade market really starts to yeah. reveal itself and to become hypercharged. So probably each week on Crunch Time from here, we'll, we'll dedicate a little bit of time to, to come up to speed with what's known and then what's been speculated upon. Yeah, and I think we would have sat, well, I don't think, I know, we would have sat here at this time last year and spoken about the tumbleweeds that were about to blow through yeah. the, the exchange period, and that was exactly how it came to be. Well, it's the exact opposite this time around, Jared. So if... The smoke uh, that's building at the moment um, is, is anything to go by. There's going to be a fair few flames during the exchange period of, of contracted players moving clubs. That's the industry talk well and truly abuzz at the moment with just how much movement there is going to be. So Collingwood, uh, GWS and Kilda, Geelong, Melbourne, Fremantle, all looking like they'll be active for very different reasons. Now, I, I think if we're talking about the most high-profile player at the moment that's that's in the, um, in the speculation basket, it certainly is Luke Jackson at, at Melbourne, who have gone from supreme confidence about keeping him to a, a I guess a, a way to phrase it is a growing concern. And I mean, the facts are, if we just strip away all the speculation, if you're an unsigned player at this point in the season, um, the percentages would say you're more inclined to announce you're leaving to a rival club as opposed to staying. I think that's just the, the back, bare facts of the matter at the moment. And we're seeing that with someone like Liam Baker as well at, at Richmond. So uh, what we do know is that Melbourne are absolutely in the hunt for a key forward. We spoke about this yesterday. Now, whether that's because they know Luke Jackson's leaving or they were going down this path anyway, they have tried and failed to get a few key forwards on the hook so far this year. And they're absolutely asking around for one now. So that that I, I think there's a... If you're playing the percentages again, Rory Lobb almost certain to leave Fremantle. He tried 12 months ago. They couldn't orchestrate it. Everything we hear is that he's well and truly wanting to move this year, 12 months on. Does he potentially end up at Melbourne? And this is hypothetical scenario with Luke Jackson going out and Rory Lobb comes in. Are they intertwined in a trade in some way, shape or form is a scenario that, that, that might play out come the end of the season. Do you think, Leon, Luke Jackson is a smart buy for Frio at this point of the rebuild? Or not that they've done the rebuild at this point of the moving into the pointy end contention? Oh, purely if I'm, I've got Fremantle's hat on, absolutely. Um He's a homegrown, and, and it's always hard, the speculation. And you you said, Sam, before, mm. when a lot of players haven't signed by now, the percentages are <clears throat> they will go. And you're probably right. In my time at the Giants, a lot of the guys that had that speculation throughout the year, Cornelio, Kelly, they signed at the end Yeah. through the finals because... <laughs> And it's hard. You can't win either way because if you say I'll do it at the end of the year and I'm really comfortable where I'm at, um, a lot of players actually just don't want to think about it until the final siren goes. There'll be some, you know, pre preliminary talk and, you know, some rough figures to say, listen, here's your three or four year deal or five year deal, whatever. But, but I don't want to think about that and say yes or no until a week after I finish. And I've seen that happen. But I understand that, that the more percentages are, the, the players will go if they haven't signed. But there is still the classic case of players signing at the end of the year. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of the Jackson one, Jared, he does, I mean, does fit the bill. If they're thinking, I mean, they're the only ones that know. If they think there's unrest or, um, you know, I know there was you know speculation that Rory Lobb was, you know, going to the Giants last year. And we did 
clearly were chasing him hard um, and it didn't come through. And so does he want to move across because his girlfriend's in Melbourne and all that sort of stuff? There's always that speculation. So you then have to, you're in that real hard position. Well, we need to replace him. Mm. We need to get someone else. And if we're in the window, it's not as if we're down at 18th. You know, we're not just going to draft or we've already got our eye on a free agent. So we have to. And so flip flip it over. And Melbourne, well, if they think that Jackson might be going, then they have to get on the front foot and say, OK, well, we are clearly in the window. Do we just go, well, OK, we need to get lob or do we need to uh, try to get McStay from Brisbane? And all that sort of stuff starts happening right now. And the only way to engage in those conversations is when the season's on, even though the player might be saying, I'll deal with this at the end. Yep. And a formal word just on that from the Luke Jackson camp is that the player just simply has not made up his mind. And, and, and when he does, uh, obviously they'll go down that path, Jared. And and I, I understand then they start digging deeper, Sam. Mm. I think what you got a house in Freo and he hasn't rented it out and I read <laughs> hey, all the stories. Yeah. Well, I think 95% of the Giants players had houses in Melbourne, if yeah. you know what I mean, but they've stayed up here for 10 or 12 years. So I think... People will start reaching and things like that. Yeah, but yeah. he might need. He might just say, no, I want to deal with this after we finish our final series. You, you never hear about AFL players buying property until this time oh, of the I year, Jerry. The real estate tie is yeah. my favourite tie <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Who else is on your list? Well, the Age reported during the week that Essendon have met with Angus Brayshaw, who has a big free agency decision to make. Now, speaking like Leon says of players who have taken their time with contracts and then ended up just signing to stay put, Angus Brayshaw perhaps would be among Exhibit A with that sort of stuff. But I just wonder where what decision... It's a, it's a curious one from an Essendon point of view, given the emergence of Coldwell, the emergence of, of Ben Hobbs, the midfield depth they have in that part of the ground. And then that's offset by the fact they finally made an offer to Dyson Heppel, their captain. Now, will he remain captain's a whole other topic of conversation, but will he even remain at the club? Now, I wouldn't shut the door on the fact that he might move the contract offer from Essendon to Dyson Heppel um, isn't what you would call supremely attractive, Jared. So... Um, it would appear to be a, a stay strictly on our terms sort of an offer. So Dyson Apple, there is some rival interest there about bringing him across to another club, at least maybe one or two clubs on a in a leadership group mentor sort of role, um, playing as a halfback flanker. So there's that one. Essendon, we know, have asked the question of Isaac Rankin. In fact, put a very lucrative contract offer to Isaac Rankin, but we are led to believe that he will well and truly stay put at the Gold Coast Suns, which says a lot about the changing environment at Gold Coast, doesn't it? That the players were almost clawing over themselves to get out and now they're doing the exact opposite to stay. And, and Stuart Jew, as we know, has, has recommitted there as well. And then there's Colin we haven't even got to yet yeah, either. So what's, what do you think the Brody Grundy scenario is? I think he stays, to be honest. I, I just uh, if, if Collingwood have it in their mind that they would canvas a trade for him, his management know nothing about it. And neither does the player who's been thrust into an awkward situation. Certainly not a case of Brodie Grundy wanting to move like he had entertained so strongly before signing a lucrative offer. Um, he was well and truly happy to move to Adelaide. There were portions of Collingwood who were happy to facilitate that as well before the powers that be from a couple of rungs above the football department said, no, 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 this guy has to stay. And he did. So he's got five years to run at a million dollars a season. So can you possibly see a scenario where they pay another player to pay play against them like they have with Adam Trelaw? It's a it's a pretty big bridge to cross. Yeah. Even if it could save them seven hundred thousand dollars in the cap when we speak about other players they might bring in, Taranto, McStay and the like. Yeah, I can see it more readily than you can from our conversation, obviously. But so none of the people who re sign him are there anymore? None. Yep. Which is real, which is interesting in its own right. Is, so, 
I'm so curious about this one, Leon. So five years, five million still to run. At his best, he was one of the, the two who was fighting for all Australian ruckmen with, with Max Gorn. It doesn't seem to me like he's done an awful lot wrong. He, had a, he didn't have the year that he would have hoped for last year, and then he's been injured for most of this. His, his downgrade in, in some people's minds, I, I must admit, I find curious. I find it fascinating because uh, Brodie Grundy is clearly in the same um, category as Max Gorn. And um, he's an outstanding ruckman. Um, but I, I suppose the, the interesting point that you made there is the people that signed Brodie Grundy are not there. And so the incoming people, Graham Wright, your new coach, um, who else is there at the moment, they might say, well, uh, we've gone down a different path. Our style of play is different. Uh, another emerging ruckman has come through in Darcy Cameron. Um, and the only way to get someone else into our footy club is to move someone out. That's the that'll be a classic conversation they would be having in their list management, but equally they would keep checking themselves and saying, "Hey guys, are we? Um, why are we talking about Brodie Grundy? Um, they're really hard to get. Yeah, um, they're extremely hard to get. And when you get two of them on your list, and some and they can be competent playing forward, have a look at what Melbourne did last year. And um, having two big men that can ruck and go forward. Now, we haven't probably seen that side of Grundy go forward yet, but maybe that was the grand plan this year before he got injured with, with Darcy Cameron, and that might have progressed throughout the year. So hard enough to get. So I find it intriguing um, that it is discussed that much because um, he's one hell of a ruckman. If he, if you could add Brody Grundy to your list at 600000 that would be one of the, in my opinion, yeah, one yeah. of the all-time... Trade period steals. The other part of it is what happens if he does go? And then Darcy Cameron, Mason Cox, is he in your absolute long-term planning as well? So if something does go wrong with Darcy Cameron, is there a fallback plan? And as Leon says, having two quality ruckmen, the damage that it can cause. And Brody Grundy's got to sanction the trade as well. Albeit that's slightly naive thinking given the Adam Trelaw scenario. When a club wants yeah. you out, generally you're going out. All right, so the, the last one, you're free to sidestep this one or engage, Leon, but it's the Giants scenario that's before us, Sam. Yeah, it was reported during the week by Sam McClure that they're facing, I think he used the term, uh, another exodus. So it's, uh, look, oh, and Leon will know this, all clubs who have contended or who are contending are obviously pushing the limits as far as they can with the cap, you know, that, that's par for the course. So the names that have come up, uh, Jacob Hopper, who who is contracted, Tim Taranto isn't, Tanner Bruin, um, uh, Bobby Hill as well, who are course, a bit like uh, Rory Lobb wanted to move 12 months ago and it didn't quite work out. So um, we, we take it at face value. Jason McCartney is, is on the record as saying it's going to be a, a pretty volatile trade period himself, uh, obviously uh, up there at GWS. So will that involve the Giants and how many can they keep and how many are they happy to get rid of as um, fits into the speculation basket at, at the moment, doesn't it? Is it the cycle, Leon, that this club just through its construct and its geography is is just bound to live over and over? Yeah, I mean, ideally you don't want it to live over and over, Jared, because um, it's it's unresting. You can't, you know, clearly go year in, year out and say, okay, I know I've got a similar squad from last year to this year to the next year because of the, the challenges you had. And, and then there's always, there's going to be a story written on this regardless because it's happened before. In 2020... You know, there was Core, Cameron and Williams gone. And in 2018, it was Scully, Shiel and Patton. So if you actually look at it, it's normally around that three-player mark. 
and uh, to hold players up here in a in a in a growth market has been challenging. Everyone knows that. So what is being written, everyone knows. Mm. And you, you bet somewhere along the line, you want to have that not stability, just that continuity. And um, if that means one or two players have to go this year just to make sure that the cap's under control and where they understand, I mean, that's up to the, you know, the giant management to make sure that they get that right if one or two players have to move on to get their cap under control or they are thinking about adding a ruckman or a forward or a back or whatever they may be doing. Um, that's going to play out and it's going to be really intriguing again. The trade market with uh, Sam Edmund. The bounce back for Duraveg providing erosion control and environmental revegetation. I feel like that's the last game of the round. St Kilda travels to face West Coast. There is a scenario for all the discussion around the Saints where they win and go back into the eight. When you think about the discussion of the week, they could still finish this round back in the eight. Who We're wants eighth, Jared? <laughs> Not Richmond. They're keeping it interesting. Good on them for the excitement of it all. We're gearing up for all the action today for Dometic. Make your next adventure effortless with the Dometic Go Collection. Just pack, stack and go. The award-winning crunch time. Who needs a rever? For Harley Heaven, the Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. I feel like the Bulldogs are the rev up for tonight for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson. They've had their pitfalls along the way, but opportunity gapes for them, courtesy of Richmond. Who have left? Who haven't punished yeah. them for their stumbles? And Leon tonight is if, if there was ever a moment to exercise the demons, get back against Melbourne and claim a place in the eight. I, I just I don't know. I'm holding a candle for the Bulldogs. Probably far too long late in the day, but I'm still holding it. I feel like could tonight be the night. Oh look, and 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 building on that, Jared, having Norton back in after a week out. I mean, the poor lad has been fighting the injuries for you know, the best part of the last six weeks. So he's going to be refreshed. They get Melbourne on a six-day break in the searing heat of um, Alice Springs last week. It was a game that sort of went down the wire with Port. Um, so they are a massive chance uh, to upset the Demons tonight. But uh, in saying that, the Demons get Oliver and, and Petty back as well. So, look, it's a cracking game. Um, it's a hard one to pick. I mean, the Dogs were really good last week, but they, they, they need to make sure that this is their opportunity because of what happened last night. They've got an opportunity to slide back in the eight. It's at Marvel Stadium as well, Jared. Yep. Mm. Uh, the Dogs' happy underground. So just on that who wants eighth, the Dogs can get in if they beat Melbourne. St Kilda can get in if they beat West Coast. And then Port Adelaide and Gold Coast, if they win, they're well and truly within striking distance as well. Well, they just got dropped off the peloton, and then the back end's just come back to there meet them. There was a crash at the front. Do you want to tack on here? There's a crash at the front, held up the peloton, they got back on. I like that, Jared. So there's a bit of credibility, I think, on the line for the Suns as well. The Lions at the Gabba are a hard task, but it's seven Q clashes in a row that Brisbane have won, and they've been big margins. Come on, Suns, show us what you're worth. Hugely uplifting win after the siren, terrible performance against Melbourne re-establish your credibility against the Crosstown rival. It, 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 absolutely. And I think um, clearly the greatest credibility is winning the game. Uh, but Brisbane, I thought, were really good last week. They picked, they get those four or five players back. So they're not far off full strengths. Um, but for, for the Suns to finish on a high this year, 
you know, I doubt they'll make the finals. That's just my feeling. Even though you you said Sam, they're they're a chance. Um, they just have to walk off the game tonight, knowing that they've either won the game or they've got within two goals against the Brisbane, mm. because. Every now and again, a young team, and they are still very, very young, and they've had a really good year um, thus far. They just don't want the last four games to have, you know, piddle out like it has in the past, or you have really, you know, bad losses. And last week was a bad loss, but I'm sure that, you know, showing their maturity and they've addressed that, they can really come out and push the lines tonight. Fatigue. I hope they're not fatiguing yeah. again, Jerry. They look a little bit like a side that just might be getting a bit tired late on in the season, but uh, we'll see. And it's a while since we've had a good game on a Sunday, but we've got one tomorrow. How, oh. how would Essendon like to find their absolute purpose and bring the eight-game run of Collingwood to oh, an end? This is going to be so good, isn't it? And I hope we get a crowd befitting of the occasion as well. Now, Collingwood have been flying for ages, but there's a theory, a narrative. Perhaps we're looking for something that they're due, Jared. Due a loss. Due a loss is one of the great ideas in quote football. Unquote. <laughs> and yet Essendon have been uh, well and truly up and about. Their contested ball and clearance numbers have been as good as any going at the moment. So hopefully they can pose enough questions. Turn your Please. daily going, Leon. No, these are the when, when you're in Collingwood's position. These are the sides you just don't want to play. Yeah. At the back end of the year, it's just a nightmare. You know, one side's going really well. <laughs> you're trying to hold on a little bit. You've won eight in a row. So the psychological challenge for Collingwood tomorrow is is well and truly there. Turn your daily commute into a daily thrill-seeking adventure at Harley Heaven at Melbourne, Ringwood, and Dandenong. Sam, time for a little dabble. Enjoying crunch time banter? Check out Dabble Banter channels and copy crunch time bets. Go on, have a dabble. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Thanks, Jared. Time to go to Dabble headquarters where we find old mate Josh Jeans. Welcome, Joshy. G'day, Sammy. How are you, mate? I'm going very well in here. Tell us what's happening on the Dabble app today. Uh, well, there's been plenty happening across the app all week. And as we know, it's more than just a betting app now. We've actually got live streaming on the app, which is fantastic. Hello. So, of course, you can play your uh, same game multis, whatever your standard bets are. But Tommy Sheridan was previewing the Richmond Fremantle game last night. If you had any questions for him, you could ask him. So a pretty cool feature that we've uh, we've just launched, which is fantastic. That's a great development. What about in the way of betting? Well, this is insane. So on Thursday, a guy by the name of Big Walty, that's the username, that's the dabbler, he hit four first fours and over 100 dabblers uh, were cashing in on that prize money. I didn't, I didn't check the spreadsheet, but it didn't look good the next day. I can tell you that much for free, Sammy. So it's good to see the dabble community landing a win. And what about Mickey McGuan or Magpie Mick, as he's known on the uh, on the app? Yeah, that's right. Hit a ten dollars same game multi with the deep power. Uh, nine people copying that bet as well. So plenty of people on there know their stuff, which is great. And you can follow those people as well. All right then, Josh. What have the team got for us this week? Ah, <laughs> uh, we go on the Sydney Swans twenty five plus. The Hawks uh, over the Roos. The Cats over the Power. It'd be interesting to see how they go down there. Of course, the Lions to get up as well over the Gold Coast Suns. And the Demons uh, to make easy work of the Bulldogs. What do you like there? I think the Cats are absolute Monty's, uh, Josh. I'd be all over them over there at the Adelaide Oval. Have you marked them down for premiership favourites, Sammy? Oh, 100%. I mean, the question really <laughs> needs to be answered come the point end of the season. We've known that for a while. But, geez, if you're looking for good signs, I mean, how much more do we need to see? That forward line is insane, isn't it? And, of course, you can copy that bet very easily. Just download the app, follow the Crunch Time AFL team, and go on, have a dabble, dabble socially and gamble responsibly. Until next time, Sammy. 
Enjoying Crunch Time Banter? Check out Dabble Banter Channels and copy Crunch Time Bets. Go on, have a dabble. Gamble responsibly. Called 1-800-858-858. There's a late change in Hobart. Yes. Nick Larkey is out of the Kangaroo side. So that's not great news there. And Aaron Hall comes in. The teams are as selected at the SCG. Leon Cameron staying on. He'll be part of this broadcast of the Swans and the Crows. Leon, great to have you as part of Crunch Time. Talk to you throughout the afternoon. Cheers, guys. See you, Leon. Sam? Uh, good stuff. Enjoy your afternoon. Will do, Jared. Cheers. It sets you up for a big Saturday of footy. Two in the afternoon, one in the twilight. I think the two highlights come late in the night. This has been Crunch Time. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.